0: Welcome to Cardamone Law University, translating the Pennsylvania workers' compensation law into plain English for injured workers. This is a monthly series to help injured workers understand the complex law in Pennsylvania regarding workers' compensation. My name is Thomas Smallwood. I am the Vice President of Marketing for Cardamone Law. I will be your host and I will be asking questions to Michael W. Cardamone, attorney and owner of our workers' compensation boutique firm, Cardinal Law. Mike, how are you?
1: Doing great, Tom.
0: Nice to be with you today. Great to have you here. Now, Mike, on our first episode, we discussed the coronavirus as it pertains to Pennsylvania Workers' Compensation Law. Today, let's discuss some basic wow, basics, from coronavirus to basics, wow, about Pennsylvania Workers' Comp Law, so our audience can see the big picture. So, Mike, you ready for your first question here? Yes, I am. All right, so who is covered under the Pennsylvania Workers Compensation Act.
1: Well, Tom, any employee that is injured in the course and scope of their employment in Pennsylvania, to put it simply. For example, if you're an independent contractor and not an employee, then you are not covered under the act. One thing you got to remember though, you can also be covered under the Pennsylvania Workers Compact even if you were not injured in Pennsylvania. An example of that would be if your employment was principally localized in Pennsylvania. For example, uh, you could be working in New Jersey, injured in New Jersey, but seek benefits under the Pennsylvania Workers' Comp Act if your employer has a place of business in Pennsylvania and you regularly work at or from that location. Um, In that situation, you would basically have a choice either pursue benefits in new jersey or pennsylvania but in essence if you want to keep it simple if you're injured while working in pennsylvania then you're covered and then there's also some exceptions um, like the one that i
0: mentioned about the new jersey situation is there any other exceptions other than that situation
1: there are um, another one is if you are hired under a contract um, of hire in Pennsylvania um, even if you're working in another state and you, and you have some kind of basic um, contact with Pennsylvania. It's similar to the um the principally located idea from the other example, but for the most part um, most people are not going to remember the the nitty-gritty exceptions. If you think of it this way If you're an employee and you're hurt, working anywhere in Pennsylvania, anywhere in the state, then you're covered. If you're outside of Pennsylvania, then we have to kind of go through the exceptions, look at the definitions and see if you
0: fit within them. Okay, all right, makes sense. So you do this on a regular basis. So I assume there are some common injuries that you see more than others. So if so, what would they be?
1: Absolutely, Tom. One of the most common injuries, and I think most people would probably guess this correctly, um, is, a, is a back injury, specifically the lower back. Um, in in medicine, they call it the lumbar spine. The reason is a lot of people are, are lifting or bending at work, which can load the discs and put a lot of pressure on them, causing injury to the low back. We do see some thoracic spine injuries. Um, that's the middle of the back, although they're they're fairly rare. I would say after the lumbar spine or the low back, the most common injury we would see is, is a neck injury. Um, after that, Tom, I'd probably say the most common uh, the most common injuries would be probably to the knees, then shoulders, uh, perhaps carpal tunnel. We also see a smattering of hand injuries. In fact, I've had a host of cases with lost hands door amputated fingers um, brain injuries are common and and today that's sort of a hot topic the traumatic brain injury um, as we know from from football and other sports mm-hmm. where there's a shaking of the brain um, you know there can be significant injury even with a negative cat scan or MRI um, there are a lot of people who sustain concussions at work I have a case now where, our client she was working um at a company in a box about 10 to 15 pounds fell on her head and she still has issues she hurt her her head of course with a concussion and post-concussive syndrome and also um a neck injury as well but um you got to remember also there's there's occupational disease the coronavirus as we talked about on the first episode black lung, mesothelioma, if these things are contracted at work, they're considered work injuries. And then there's also psychological injury. For example, somebody with chronic back pain for years, they might develop anxiety or depression or both, and that can be a work injury too. But uh, the low back is definitely the most common. It probably accounts for about half of our caseload. So
0: getting into the back injuries, I see a a, a lot of manufacturing companies will supply those back braces, the black ones with the Velcro that you see all the time. Yes. Now, now if the company says that, well, every time I see him, he's very safe. He doesn't use the, the back brace that we, we had given him or um, he is wearing it. I can't see how he hurt his back. How, how do you fight against that? It's not a defense.
1: Um, there is a defense in the workers comp, Um, system here in Pennsylvania called a violation of a positive work order, Uh, but the injured worker would have to be doing something so foreign to the order that it wouldn't be connected to their work. For example, um, if you and I were working somewhere and um, we were doing something outside the scope of our job duty, say we had to lift and stack boxes, but you and I departed from that and started doing, I don't know, we started playing hopscotch or something or, or went to the playground nearby and we fell and got hurt. That wouldn't be considered a work injury because we weren't in the course and scope of our employment. With your example, if somebody's not wearing a back brace, it's not gonna be a viable defense. They're still injured in the course and scope of their employment. You gotta remember, fault is not an issue. Um, so even if they were told to wear a back brace and they didn't wear it, that's not likely going to be successful in court. Um, if they hurt their back doing something not related to their work activities, for example, they weren't wearing the brace, but they were injured, not lifting and stacking the boxes, but, um, from wrestling each other or something like that horseplay, then um, there would be a defense because they wouldn't be in the course and scope of employment. It's a really good question. It comes up a lot. Uh, but the, the defense called a violation of a positive work order is very narrow and it's very um, particular. And I don't think in the hypothetical you gave me, that would be a defense.
0: Okay. Okay. So now I come to you. Um, I'm obviously not working, I'm uh, not making any money. Uh, I'm very apprehensive about doing this because I have no money. So what would it cost an injured worker to hire hire a law firm like ours?
1: Good question, Tom, and I have good news for you. Absolutely nothing. You do not have to give us a penny. It's a contingent (laughs) fee system. So that means there's no billable hours. There's no upfront cost. If you come to us and you have a denied claim and we go to court and we win your case, we would get 20% of the weekly or bi-weekly workers' comp checks or 20% of a lump sum settlement. If you came to us, however, and you are already on workers' comp, so you're getting your weekly check and your medical Mm -hmm. benefits are paid and the workers' comp files a petition to reduce your benefits saying that you're either recovered or that there's a job available that you could perform and you come to us you still don't need any outlay of money what would happen is if we defeat that request to reduce your benefits we would then start getting 20 percent of the weekly or bi-weekly checks so the great news with workers comp and the reason it's a really nice system for injured workers is they don't need any money out of their own
0: pocket and we call that a contingent fee system so Will the insurance company send two checks, for example, one check to me and then 20% to you. Or how do you get your 20%? How do I get my money? Yes,
1: the insurance company will send you your 80% and they'll send the 20% to the law firm. It makes it easy that way.
0: Okay, so no, so I don't even touch any money to give it to you. Correct. Absolutely. It comes direct that, from the insurance company. That's amazing. That That's incredible. So everybody out there that's listening, that's apprehensive about doing this please, please, please do not be apprehensive. If you are injured, there are people out there to help you, such as our law firm. Please call us, call whomever. Do not worry about any out-of-pocket fees. I hope that makes you feel a little more at ease. Um, um, I know it makes me feel at ease.
1: It's a great point. I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's a, it's a great point. There's so many injured workers, probably thousands every day across the country, and at least Hundreds in Pennsylvania that don't get help the reason is they might have some kind of a prejudice against attorneys or they heard some story in the newspaper where they think they need to shell out $1,000 because that's what they had to spend for you know their divorce attorney or criminal attorney or Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. and a lot of people just don't understand that it's a contingent fee system and so we can level the playing field for them against the the big mighty insurance companies and employers and they don't have to pay us anything. So, um, and another another situation that comes up sometimes is somebody already has an offer on the table. I just signed up a client this week to our firm. Um, They have an offer of, I think it was 25,000 on the table Mm-hmm. And so we're only going to be receiving twenty percent of the increase. So, if we get the offer up to a hundred thousand, the twenty percent is only going to be on the seventy-five thousand dollar increase, which would be fifteen thousand dollars. So, mm-hmm. they go from twenty-five thousand dollars to sixty thousand dollars net. And I told the individual, I said, "That's only fair. We're not going to take twenty percent on an offer that you got yourself." So only on the increase so the only thing they can do is make money by hiring us they can't lose money and so once I established that concept in his mind he was very quick to sign on
0: I that's incredible because like I said the, in my previous statement a lot of people are apprehensive about doing that and to have this in place is just incredible um, So I'd like to get to uh, another question for you, Michael. Um, I hear a lot of people now are saying, you know, given courts being closed at this point right now with everything going on, um, you know, my insurance company just said the heck with it. I don't want to fight. Here's an offer on the table. Um, Do you see a lot of insurance companies that do the right thing at the beginning of the case that don't even want to go to court and say, you know what? Here's my offer. This is what we're going to do and we're done.
1: I do, but it's not generally in the context of a lump sum um, offer. It's normally an acceptance to pick up the weekly or biweekly checks and the medical benefits. So once you report a work injury, the insurance carrier, whoever that is for your particular employer, has 21 days to investigate and either accept the claim, deny it, or temporarily accept it. Okay. Um, and once they do that, sometimes when they accept a claim, the injured worker thinks, oh, great. I don't need an attorney. I'm getting my full worker's comp check. And then usually within a few weeks to a few months, they find out that it's not such a friendly dynamic that their insurance company is coming after their benefits or sending them to doctors who have opinions that are minimizing their condition. And so you do see situations where people come to us when they're already on comp and there was no fight in court. But that's. Mm-hmm that tends to change pretty quickly.
0: Okay. All right. That's what I was wondering. So I don't know. Um, I've spoken to a few people that have said, Oh, I got my insurance check and you know, it was great. They did this. So it doesn't always work out that way.
1: No, it doesn't. And there are a lot of people who get in, in terms of a lump sum settlement, a lot of people get robbed and they don't even know it. They just, they hear "Oh, $50,000 offer. That sounds great. Meanwhile, you know, we, we if we analyze their case and look at their workers comp rate and we look at the significance of the injury and we look at their lack of an earning power because maybe they they only completed high school and all they did was physical labor. Now their back is out for life. We probably could have gotten them, you know, two hundred and fifty thousand or more or somewhere in that range. And they settle for fifty thousand because they said to themselves, you know what? Fifty thousand is a lot of money never had a check like that i'll I'll take it i don't have to get an attorney meanwhile they could have made triple or quadruple that if they just made the phone call so going back to your your previous point tom about the the fear factor involved with injured workers that it's so critical for them to get advice because they really don't know how to evaluate the value of their case
0: sure Mm -hmm and that's where you come in
1: yeah I mean that's that's our bread and butter as you know that's all we do and I'll look at the case get the medical records get the bureau documents and figure out um, fairly quickly what's the proper range here for settlement
0: that that's that's a big key right there um I don't know how many people also going back to what I said have also said you know I got my check it's good I'm feeling okay and like you previously said, in like three years from now, I see them and they're like, oh, I'm out of money, I'm hurting, this, that, and everything else, when they should've just called us in the first place and this could've all been settled and they could've been set for life.
1: You nailed it. And what happens at these settlement hearings, We have we go on the record in workers' comp in front of a judge and the judge and the attorneys will ask the injured worker, our clients, did you read this agreement? Is that your signature? Are you doing this voluntarily? Are you clear headed today? You're doing this of your own free will. This will end your case, even if your condition gets worse after today. So they have this um, litany of questions that are compromise and release hearings. That's the, the term for the settlements, because it locks people in. And it's not to talk them out of the settlement. It's just so that they understand what the bargain is that they're getting a lump sum to finalize their case but the exchange for that the the benefits of the employer and the insurance company is is finality that the case is closed forever and so i get calls sometimes from people saying i settled my case you know five years ago i was a truck driver i settled for seventy five thousand, but my back is even worse and i said look if you didn't aggravate it at a new place of employment, which could be considered a new injury, Um, if you haven't done that, you're out of luck. I mean, they're going to take out, if if you try to file a claim for benefits for that injury, the insurance carrier is just going to take the transcript out from that settlement hearing and say, sir, we have you under oath saying you understand this is the deal. That was your signature, that you didn't consume any drugs or alcohol or anything affecting your ability to understand the hearing that you know this is you understood how much you were getting etc so we see that scenario a lot and it tends to be from people who are not represented and they're trying to undo a previous settlement
0: um one more comment on this question then we'll get to the next one sure we've been doing this a long time have you seen in court where the the claimant gets bullied by the insurance company a lot of times are by their employer to just sign this deal and get it over with so we don't have to go to court so we don't have to put more money on the table where do you where do you see that by sometimes the claimant's own personal attorney pulling them just so that they can get money in their pocket Uh,
1: not in any overt way I mean sometimes you can read between the lines and figure out that there was a lot of you know duress put on somebody I've workers comp agreements that are not Um, signed off by a workers comp judge are not valid so a lot of times what i've heard is and i'm sure this is extremely common is somebody gets hurt at work and i hear this all the time and they're trying to tough it out most people don't enjoy pursuing workers comp it's just it's not fun and it can take forever and you lose money and you're losing job skills and so a lot of people hurt their back. They think it's just going to be a little strain or sprain and they're going to work through it and it's not going to be something life-changing and they tell their boss and the boss puts pressure on them to not take it into court why well they don't want their premiums to go up and they might not want other workers finding out you know to be reminded about the benefits because maybe you know in some in their paranoid brain they think other co-workers are going to then you know um, seek out those benefits for for things that they suffer. So what happens is a lot of the owners, especially in like small mom and pop type of companies, I've heard many times will tell the injured worker, "We'll take care of you. We'll just continue your salary, and we'll pay you, and we'll cover your medical bills, and don't file workers' comp." And that happens so many times that we don't even know about because. There are cases where the injury is mild, they're only hurting for a few weeks, and the, and the employer can mm-hmm. take care of them. But there are other people where it's not just a sprain or a strain, turns out it was a herniation or radiculopathy or whatever. And so in the beginning of the case, they're kind of putting trust in the employer to take care of them. And then they realize this is a life-changing issue that's going to affect my earning power then they call us and we find out about the story and the shady business about trying to intimidate them not to pursue workers comp so that's a great question and that comes up a lot and i'm sure it comes up way more than we even know because in a lot of situations um they are able to kind of work it out on their own but it's not the proper channel to you know to do that the proper thing is for the employer to file their first report of injury for, you know, an incident report to be generated and then for the insurance carrier to either accept or deny a claim. So, uh, that does happen and, and it happens a lot. There's a lot of intimidation, um, put on injured workers. And similarly, people that go back to work after a work injury, they have a target on their back in many, many cases. And it's not really a spoken thing, it's more of a behavioral thing, but I can't tell you how many times every every month we get phone calls from clients saying, hey, I went back to work, it was supposed to be light duty, but I'm back to my regular job and everybody's treating me differently now and there's a lot of tension. And so um, this sort of behavior is very common.
0: Do you advise them to go back to their current employer that they have sued to get hundreds of thousands of dollars from or do you leave that up to them or do you advise them to maybe find something else? Depends on
1: the situation. If the case is settled, then they don't go back to work with their pre-injury employer. In fact, about 98% of the time with settlements in Pennsylvania, the lump sum settlements called compromise and release, the, mm-hmm. there's a resignation as part of the settlement. So. Um, in your, with your question, if the case is settled, the injured worker is not going to be going back to, um, the same employer. They can go find another job after the settlement hearing, something that's, that fits their physical restrictions. But, um, but there are other situations where somebody's injured and one of the doctors says, you can go back and do light duty work. You're no longer totally disabled. And what I usually do, and it's a case by case thing, but in general, I'll tell our clients, give it a good faith effort. Here's why: if you go back to work and it works out, great, you're back to work, and that's better than being on workers' comp. You have a job, you have your pride, you have, you know, something to rely on, and, and your benefits aren't going to be jeopardized, like if and you know if you have health insurance, et cetera. And if you go back and you can't do it physically you'll be able to look the judge in the eye at the hearing and say, Judge, Your Honor, I was skeptical. I was in a lot of pain. I didn't really agree with the doctor, but I went forth and I gave it a shot and I couldn't do it. And so then your workers' comp case is much more, uh, it's even on more solid ground because you went and tried it and confirmed that you couldn't do it. So in many cases with a job offer, even if there's tension and there's, you know, rumors going around and stuff like that, I still usually will tell people to go give it a shot. In the case there's a settlement, that's pretty much off the table. That's very rare where the employers won't have somebody sign a resignation.
0: Okay, good, that's good to know. So we have another question here, Michael. So if an injured worker starts getting paid from the beginning without the need for a lawyer, What could change in their situation whereby they would need to call someone like us to help them? A
1: host of different things could happen. The most common would be getting an an independent medical examination letter saying, dear sir or ma'am, you've been scheduled for an independent medical exam. That's where the insurance company picks. They handpick a doctor, not for treatment. It's not a treating doctor, but for legal purposes, and they can do that approximately every six months if there's an open claim and that's usually a red flag that they want to try to change things up because the independent medical doctors tend to see things through a different lens and they tend to give people less restrictions or claim a recovery or or claim that um, somebody doesn't need a surgery um, etc so they that you see a, a, a trend with those doctors where they're citing their opinions are more favorable to an insurance company. Uh, another would be a job offer. That triggers a lot of phone calls to our firm saying, hey, I don't think I can do this. What should I do? My doctor says I can't go back to work, but the insurance company doctor says I can. Um, so these are these are common um, things that come up routinely where people should call us because things are about to change meaning There's going to be an imminent threat to their benefits. Another one would be a vocational interview. Somebody gets a letter saying, you've been scheduled for a vocational interview. That means the insurance company is taking the first step in a process called a labor market survey where they're trying to establish an an earning power. Um, So these are some of the the most common things we see where somebody should... Um, feel the need to lawyer up if they haven't already.
0: Okay, good. That's good to know. I see I see in the law profession that acronyms are, are thrown around a lot. So just for everybody's uh, peace of mind out there to know, if you ever hear an attorney or you hear Michael say, IME, that is an independent medical exam. Absolutely correct. Correct. Good,
1: good thinking, Tom. I, we get so used to... Um, certain you know words and phrases as attorneys either on the claimant side of the bar or defense that sometimes sometimes we lose track in terms of what um, the lay person may or may not understand so that's a great point IME, independent medical exam
0: okay all right thank you one more question we have michael what are the key factors to winning a case if the insurance company denies the claim? Oh, and this is a big one. It
1: is, Tom. This is this is where our expertise comes into, um, you know, the forefront. And basically, I'm going to say there's two prongs here, two, two elements that I've, I zone in on. One, is this person credible? And you get a feel for that in the initial interview. You talk to them. Sure. And you, you have a lot of questions. You almost wanna put them under cross-exam, ask about prior injuries to the same body parts, things like that. And then you wanna cross-check that with the medical records. You have to get the medical records, see if they reported the injury consistently with what they're telling you, see if the doctor's given them you know, a diagnosis and any restrictions and so on. So the two keys would be one, is this person credible and are they going to come off credibly in court most people the answer is yes They're, every now and then you, you can you can kind of sense that somebody's um malingering i would say you know two to five percent but the vast majority sure. of people are you know straightforward credible etc so you move to that second element which is okay does the doctor is the doctor going to help us one are they board certified Two, are they a specialist? They tend to be more helpful than um, a family doctor, for example. You can use a family doctor as your expert, but you tend to do a little a little bit better if you have a, a, you know, an orthopedic surgeon or a pain management doctor. Um, and so you get the medical records and you try to figure out, are we gonna meet our burden of proof? We have to show that there's an injury in the course and scope of employment and that it's disabling and uh, sometimes you can't glean that from the your review of the medical records and you have to request what's called a narrative report and that's basically a letter to the doctor saying "Dear doctor we represent you know John Doe in this workers comp case we read your medical records can you answer the following questions you know is this a work injury and what are the restrictions and are they recovered and and so on and so forth so to boil it down, one, credibility of the claimant, always a big factor. And two, do we have a good, credible medical doctor who's on our team?
0: Oh, that that's, that's great, Michael. That is incredible. So there was a lot to it today, but it was the basics. So what they need to do is if they are apprehensive, they need to call us. How do they get a hold of us? I will do that in a few seconds here. But first of all, I want to say, Michael, it's been a pleasure speaking with you about some of the basics of Pennsylvania workers' compensation law. We are out of time for today. Please join us again for our next podcast here at Cardamone Law University. And we remind you that if you have any legal issue issues, no matter what they are, correct, Michael? We can help refer you to the right law.
1: Absolutely, firm. Tom. It doesn't matter he- if it's workers' comp. If it's workers' comp, that's what we do. We'll be more than happy to go over your case. There's no charge. Um, If it's a non-workers' comp case, personal injury, car accident, medical malpractice, a defective product, a a criminal proceeding, it could be an intellectual property issue with a trademark, could be social security disability, uh, employment discrimination, things like that. Any kind of law outside of workers' comp, as you know, we have a great network of trusted colleagues and we'll put people in the right hands and, and quickly as well.
0: So there you have it. Uh, you can contact us at www.cardamonlaw.com. That is www.cardamonelaw.com. Or by calling us at 215-206-9068. Again, that number was 215 215- 206 206-9068. Michael, it was a pleasure speaking with you again, and we look forward to speaking with you again Looking next month. To Everyone, thank you. Everyone, thank you, and stay healthy, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.